We're, we're kind of dancing around the Hebrews piece because I've read from Isaiah and now I'm going to read from John and not Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, um, we're going to turn, it's very easy to find, John 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh, and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Very good evening. Everyone all right? Good. So, what book of the Bible are we studying from now on, on Sunday evenings? Nathan? Hebrews, that's right. So, is the book of Hebrews in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Go on, Tilly. It is, yeah, it is in the New Testament. Do you know, I always used to think that Hebrews was in the Old Testament. This isn't a recent thing, you'll be glad to know. But when I was sort of your age, I used to think, sounds like an Old Testament book, doesn't it? Hebrews. And a lot of people call the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures. Maybe I'm going to say something slightly controversial. I don't like the term Old Testament, New Testament. I like the phrase Hebrew Scriptures to describe the Old Testament. And then maybe the Gospels or the Epistles to describe the New Testament, isn't it? Or the Apostles' teaching, isn't it, to describe the New Testament. So sometimes people call the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures. And it is full of Old Testament quotes, the book of Hebrews. Full of Old Testament quotes. And it's full of Old Testament themes as well. Uh, Moses is there, Joshua, the Sabbath, Melchizedek, the tabernacle or temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the covenant at Sinai, loads of Old Testament themes in the book of Hebrews. So where is it? Where is the book of Hebrews? Does anyone know where to find it? I think it's the 19th book of the New Testament, is it? The 19th book? What page is it on? So it's after Philemon, I think, and just before James. So it's towards the back of our Bibles. What page is it, Lydia? 
No, it doesn't, yeah. So what's the second page of the book of Hebrews? 1202. So it's 1201. And it's quite a long book, really, for the New Testament, do you think? Does anyone know how many chapters there are in the book of Hebrews? You don't know, do you, Nith? What is it? 11, that's a good guess, but it's not. 13, 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews. And if you sort of forget about the Gospels and the book of Acts, it's the third longest book in the New Testament, apart from, obviously, the Gospels and the book of Acts. So, so you've got, like, Revelation, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then uh, Hebrews. So fourth, actually, fourth fourth longest book in the New Testament. So what sort of book is it, the book of Hebrews? Now, we've studied 1 Corinthians, haven't we, on Sunday nights? We've done quite a bit here on Sunday nights, haven't we? We've gone through 1 Corinthians and Philippians, and what were they? They were, what sort of books were they? Yeah? Yeah, they were letters, weren't they, written to local churches. So what is Hebrews? Is it a letter? Well, When you look at the beginning of Hebrews, does it sound like a letter? Can you see it there? Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophet at many times and in various ways. Does that sound like a letter? It doesn't kind of start like like a letter is usually to so-and-so, isn't it? From, if you look at Philemon, so it's sort of on the same page, that looks like a letter, doesn't it? Paul, so this letter is from Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So that's definitely a letter, isn't it, Philemon? But Hebrews, it doesn't begin like a letter, does it? It doesn't begin like one. And it's not signed off by anyone either. Like a letter is usually, see you soon, or lots of love, or whatever, isn't it? Signed by someone. Do you remember how the book of 1 Corinthians ended? Paul sort of wrote, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, isn't it? So we know that the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was by his hand. So who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? Really, the answer is we don't know. But it's God's word. The Holy Spirit inspired someone to write the book of Hebrews. But the short list is sort of Paul. Most people think that it's probably the Apostle Paul. Some people would say maybe Barnabas, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. So there's, there's quite a list of people who it could have been. But from the second century onwards, lots of people have actually said, yeah, the book of Hebrews, kind of definitely the Apostle Paul. Someone called Clement of Alexandria would say, yeah, definitely the Apostle Paul. And it probably could be the Apostle Paul, because it's full of Old Testament quotes. And the Apostle Paul loves to do that, doesn't he? He loves to quote the Old Testament. He loves to refer to sort of, uh, the, and he was an expert with the Old Testament, wasn't he? He was sort of brought up as a, as a Jew, wasn't he? Now, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us a lot about the book of Hebrews. So if we could turn to Hebrews chapter 13, the very last chapter... And verses 22 to 25. And that tells us quite a lot about the book there. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22. So it starts like this. So maybe the book of Hebrews ends a bit like a letter. Brothers and sisters. So who's the book of Hebrews written to? 
sort of brothers and sisters in Christ. So the book of Hebrews is written to a church, a church. And probably the church in Jerusalem, probably the church in Jerusalem, sort of Hebrew people, made up of Hebrew people. So that's sometimes uh, how you describe the Jews. Sometimes they're described as Hebrews because their original language was Hebrew. So it's written to a Hebrew church, probably. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, kind of gives us a clue that it's written to the church in Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 10, verse 11, what do we read there? Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the person who wrote the book of Hebrews is sort of assuming these people are seeing the temple being used day after day. So where was the temple? The temple was in Jerusalem. So every day you're seeing stuff going on in the temple. So the book of Hebrews was definitely written, well, most probably written before the year 70 AD. So the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. So it's still functioning. So some people think maybe the book of Hebrews was written in the year 68, maybe two years before the temple was destroyed. But anyway, what do we read there? Um, So brothers and sisters, I urge you, so we're back in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I've written to you quite briefly. So you could say maybe this isn't a letter, but a word of exhortation. So maybe not a letter, but a collection of sermons on Old Testament passages. That's what some people think. That maybe the book of Hebrews isn't necessarily a letter, but a collection of sermons that have been written down on Old Testament passages. But what do we read then in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 13? I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. So whoever wrote the book of Hebrews obviously knew Timothy. So that could be the Apostle Paul or someone who traveled with Timothy. So again, very likely it could be the Apostle Paul. But then verse 24 then, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. So the person who was writing the book of Hebrews was writing from Italy, do you think? And we saw in the book of Philippians that the Apostle Paul was in prison, wasn't he? Very likely in Rome, in Italy. And then look at verse 25 then. Look how the the book ends. Grace be with you all. Now that's a very, very strong clue that this could be the Apostle Paul. Because every single one of the Apostle Paul's epistles ends with grace be with you. Or grace and peace be with you. Every single one, grace be with you. But anyway, we don't know, do we? But the most important thing is, this is God speaking to us, his church, his people, 
Isn't that incredible that we've got the living word of God in our hands? So why were these sort of collection of sermons on Old Testament passages or this letter written to this church in Jerusalem? Why was it sent to them? Well, these collection of sermons or this letter was probably written to people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. So they'd converted from Judaism to Christianity. They were living in Jerusalem. And it's likely that Nero was still the sort of emperor of the Roman Empire. He was still Caesar, Nero. We heard about Nero last week, didn't we? And he wasn't like a nice guy, really, was he? He sort of burned Christians alive and sort of fed Christians to sort of wild beasts. And uh, so he tortured and executed Christians. So he was the emperor between the age, between the year 54 and 68. So this might have been in the last year of his reign, the year 68. And uh, he hated Christians because a fire happened in Rome in the year 64, and he sort of blamed the Christians for this fire. So he particularly hated Christians. So you've got these Jews in Jerusalem uh, who converted from Judaism to Christianity, and Christians are being persecuted badly. So these Christians in Jerusalem were thinking, this is too hard being a Christian. I want to convert back to Judaism, a religion that's recognized by the Roman Empire. You know, it's not sort of treated as a sort of dangerous sort of cult. So Christianity was looked at as a kind of dangerous cult or something. So they were thinking, oh, let's ditch Christianity and go back to Judaism. And we get the impression that that's what was happening with this uh, Hebrew church when you read chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. They're sad words very much, really, aren't they? Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And it looks as if these... um, Jews who had converted to Christianity even stopped going to church. Some of them have stopped going to church. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Again, very sad verse, isn't it? So not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And even some of these Hebrews who are still going to church, they weren't really listening to the preaching either. It seems as if they'd stopped paying attention to the preaching. And we get that from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. What do we read there? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So it sounds not far off the church in Great Britain, doesn't it? 
Lots of people in Great Britain have started to turn away from Christianity or over the last hundred years, definitely have started to turn away from Christianity. Oh, being a Christian is too hard. I'm going to become an atheist. Or I'm just going to be worldly. Or if people are still calling themselves Christians, then they're starting to stop coming to church. They're giving up meeting together. Or if they do come to church, they hear sermons and do nothing about it. And I think that's a mark of the British church, isn't it? We're hearing sermons, but how many of them are we actually putting into practice? How many of them am I putting into practice? So these sermons that the writer of the book of Hebrews sent to this sort of dying church is basically a message telling them Look, if you're turning away from Christianity, this is what you're turning your back on. Do you think that's a good way of describing Hebrews? So the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling these Hebrews who are turning away from Christianity and turning back to Judaism, he's thinking, you turn your back on Christianity, this is what you're turning your back on. And in Hebrews chapter 1, this is 1 to 4, the apostle really goes for it, doesn't he, right from the beginning. It's like, what? So if I turn my back on Christianity, that's what I'm turning my back on? So what do we see there? Hebrews chapter 1, this is 1 to 4. And let's begin with verse 1. What do we read there? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And maybe just another point as well. You could probably use the book of Hebrews to show someone what they are rejecting if they're rejecting Jesus. So you could show it to even a non-Christian. Say, oh, if you decide not to become a Christian, this is what you're rejecting. So anyway, his first point, the apostle, he's telling this Hebrew church, really, you turn away from Christianity to Judaism, or you reject Christianity, you're turning from an incomplete. You're turning to an incomplete revelation. Isn't it? You leave Christianity, then you haven't got the full revelation of God, the full word of God. Because we love the Old Testament, don't we? The Old Testament is wonderful, but it's not enough just on its own, is it? Like if you said, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe the New Testament. It's kind of like, I'm not sure if you're a Christian. If you're rejecting the New Testament... You're missing out on a lot. Yeah, the Old Testament is wonderful. It's glorious. But you've got to have the New Testament as well. So the apostle is telling him, you turn to Judaism, you've got an incomplete revelation. Yeah, God has spoken to us through Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. But he's also spoken to us through God the Son. And you're going to throw that away? You reject Christianity, you reject God's words. 
that have been revealed to the world, isn't it? So if someone said, oh, I'm not interested in Christianity. What? You're not interested in God speaking to you? Because that's what Christianity is, isn't it? The full revelation of God. That's what we've got in our hands. Uh, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I wish I could hear God's voice speak to me? Have you ever heard someone say, oh, if only I could hear the voice of God speaking to me? And my line to someone is, just read the Bible out loud. You want to hear God speaking to you? You want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible out loud, isn't it? That is God's revelation to us. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about God. Isn't that wonderful? But then we go on. What do we read next? What's the next phrase? So, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So, the message there is, you reject Christianity, then you reject the Christ whom is the heir of all things. So when people are rejecting Christianity, they're rejecting the Christ, who is the heir of all things. Would you reject the heir of all things? You wouldn't reject the heir to the throne, would you? Now, my friend, uh, he played rugby once against Prince William. He went to, um, I think it's a, a public school called... Charterhouse, is it, in Surrey? And uh, where did William go? Eton, is it? So he played rugby against him. And um, even though he's very posh, he wasn't a, like a royalist. And then he was, he was sort of faced with this dilemma. William went to sort of shake his hand. And so, so what did you do? So of course I shook his hand. He's the heir, isn't he? You're not going to reject the heir to the United Kingdom, isn't it? The Commonwealth, isn't it? said, well, if you wouldn't reject Prince William, why would you reject the heir of all things, the heir of the whole universe, isn't it? The heir of the kingdom of God. And then what do we read next? So Jesus, you reject Christianity, you're rejecting Christ, who is the heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. So what's the next point? You reject Christianity. You reject Christ, who is the creator of all things. Now, some of, some of us have done Christianity Explored, and the first session has got those wonderful facts, isn't it? Is it 100 billion stars in the galaxy, which is the Milky Way? And apparently there are another 100 billion galaxies. Can I ask my friend Joel to do some maths for us? What's, what's 100 billion times 100 billion? <laughs> I think that's impossible, is it? Nathan, you don't know. <laughs> you go on then, what is it? <laughs> do you know, yeah. That, that, not Austin doesn't even know. <laughs> You, you'd have to sort of come up with some... Does, do you know, uh, Julia? 10,000 billion, yeah. Yeah. We could, we could be here all night. But it's, it's, 
That's the whole point, isn't it? We've just sort of made a point there. It blows our mind, doesn't it? But Jesus created the whole universe. Isn't it? He created the whole universe. And when we look at the stars, isn't it? When we study the planets, even when we just look at the human body, isn't it? It should blow our minds. Oh, this is Jesus, isn't it? How can I reject him? Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of the writer uh, Bill Bryson, is it? Bill Bryson. Uh, He's not a Christian. um, But in one of his books, The Lost Continent, he went to see the Grand Canyon. And he went to the... Has anyone been there, the Grand Canyon? No, no one been there. Apparently, it's supposed to be breathtaking, isn't it? It's, It's one of those sort of wonders of creation that sort of takes your breath away. But he went to see it as a child, and then he went to see it again as an adult, and he was really disappointed because it was really thick fog. But this is what he writes in his book. I came to a platform of rocks, making the edge to the canyon. There was no fence to keep you back from the edge, so I shuffled cautiously over and looked down but could see nothing but grey soup. That's the way to describe fog, isn't it? Grey soup. Uh, A middle-aged couple came along, and as we uh, stood chatting about what uh, a disappointing experience this was, a miraculous thing happened. The fog parted. It just silently drew back, like a set of theatre curtains being opened. And suddenly we saw that we were on the edge of a sheer Gideon drop of at least a thousand feet. Jesus, we said, and jumped back. And all along the canyon edge, you could hear people saying, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Like a message being passed down a long line. And then, for many moments, all was silence except for the tiny, fretful shiftings uh, of the snow. Because out there in front of us was the most awesome, most silencing sight that exists on earth. Isn't it? And it was totally appropriate for people to say, Jesus, but in their hearts they were using their name, Jesus' name as a swear word. But when you do see a sight like that, it should be, Jesus, isn't it? You created this. So if we reject Christianity, we're rejecting the creator of the whole universe. But then what do we read in verse 3? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's interesting, when we did Christianity Explored with Connor, he actually quoted this verse without even knowing it, didn't he? So, so what are we saying? That Jesus is like the representation of God, is it? Is it? Yeah, the exact representation of his being, isn't it? It was quite exciting. It was almost as if the Spirit was revealing that to him. So if someone rejects Christianity, or if someone turns away from Christianity, they're turning away from Christ, who is God. Jesus is God. You reject Christianity, you're rejecting God. And that's why all the religions of the world 
are false unless they bow the knee to Christ, unless they acknowledge that Jesus is indeed God. And then, what about the next verse then? Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. What the apostle then is saying, you reject Christianity, then you reject Christ, who is keeping you alive and keeping everything alive. So the reason why we're now floating in space now is because Jesus says so. He is providing gravity for us now, isn't he? The reason my heart is beating, yeah, it is beating. The reason why my heart is beating now, the reason why I'm breathing is because Jesus says so, isn't it? The reason why we're not just a a blob of sludge on the floor is because Jesus is keeping us together. He's holding all the atoms, electrons, neutrons, protons, whatever they are, isn't it? He's keeping everything together, isn't it? Speak to a physicist, isn't it? Uh, speak to scientists, and I say, someone is keeping all this together, and it is Jesus. The reason the stars aren't falling from the sky, because Jesus is saying, stars, stay where you are, but one day he's going to say, enough, isn't it? Enough. If someone rejects Christianity, then they're rejecting Christ who's keeping everything alive, sustaining life on this planet and sustaining the whole universe. But look at this, the next phrase then. And after he had provided purification for sins. That's quite a powerful one, isn't it? The person who rejects Christianity is rejecting Christ who can deal with our biggest problem of all. Every single human being on this planet have got a problem, and our problem is sin. And again, no religion has got an answer for sin, has it? Have you ever met, like, Buddhists? You don't see them a lot. You always see them in London, don't you? Um, And if you get into a conversation with them, the first thing to say to anyone from another religion is, what's your answer to sin, then? I say, I'll try and be a better person. Okay, I'll do that, but I've got stuff in my past. I said, oh, well, you, you, can, you can make up for your past by being good now. No, no, I've still got it, though. The guilt and shame from my past. What, 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 what's your religion got, got, got for me to take away the guilt and the shame I feel? Nothing, isn't it? It's only Christianity. It's only Christ who can deal with our sin. After he had provided purification for sin... We need to be made clean because we feel dirty on the inside. Only Jesus can make us pure. Um, Has anyone seen the American news this week? I think a lot of Christians have been sort of posting it on sort of social media and things. Have you seen it? That um, 18-year-old African-American called Botham Jean Brothan. Anyone seen it? It's quite something, isn't it? So, yeah, Lydia, you've seen it. So... This, this 18-year-old lad, his brother was shot by a police officer. So apparently, this is what happened. The police officer went back to her flat, and she went into the wrong flat. It wasn't actually her flat. She went into this boy's flat and just saw him sitting on the sofa, and she took a gun out and shot him in the heart. 
And then she kind of realized, oh, I went into the wrong flat. So she was being sentenced this week. And this boy's brother uh, sort of said this in the court. He said this, I hope you go to God with all your guilt, all the bad things you've done in the past. And then he said this, I ask each and every one of us, we may have done something we're not supposed to do. And if you're truly sorry, I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And then he said, and I want the best for you. I don't want you to go to prison. A lot of people will want you to die and rot like my brother did. I don't want that for you. I want the best for you. And the best for you is that you come to Christ. I'll maybe post the video or something later. It's very powerful. It's only about five minutes long. But who can provide the cleansing from guilt and shame? Only Jesus. Only Christianity has the answer. So if you reject Christianity, you're rejecting the Christ who can deal with your biggest problem, sin. And then, what do we read next? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So if you reject Christianity, you reject Christ, who is king, isn't it? King of the universe. He is the majesty in heaven. He's ruling and he's reigning. He sat at the right hand of God. Is it what? You're going to reject him? You're going to reject him? And then what do we read in verse 4? So he became as much superior to the angels. Now, probably um, these Jews who had converted to Christianity, who were thinking of converting back to Judaism, they sort of liked the whole theology of angels. Because even today, do you find that people like the theology of angels? Even like non-Christians, isn't it? They've got a fascination with angels, isn't it? But what does the Bible say? Jesus is superior to the angels. And when you do do a bit of a Bible study on angels, they are awesome, aren't they? I might say something a bit weird here, but I, I hope some of you agree with me. Do you believe that there's an unseen spiritual realm? Yeah, Austin's nodding, and Elder's nodding. <laughs> I'm safe, yeah. So there's angels and demons that are unseen. And there's a possibility there could be angels and demons even in this room right now, but we don't see them. He's not Austin's still nodding. <laughs> you think, well, you never know, isn't it? And sometimes, when you read the Bible, sometimes these unseen beings, these angels, they make themselves visible and people are just blown away. Could you imagine if, like, an angel made itself visible now? We'd all be flat on the floor, wouldn't we? We'd all be flat on the floor. But Jesus is superior to an angel. Now, how far away is the sun? Does Joel know? <laughs> is, it, is it sort of like 93 million miles away? The, the sun is 93 million miles away. And if you looked at the sun, it would burn your eyes out, wouldn't it? You look at the sun, it'll burn your eyes out. 
And the Bible tells us that Jesus is brighter than the sun. And we're going to look at him face to face one day. And uh, like angels, I've got lots of different sort of names in the Bible, haven't I? Like seraphim, which means burning ones. And then you've got cherubim, like the blessers, the high ones, isn't it? The approachers or the internal ones. And then you've got some names for angels like Gabriel, which means God is strong, and Michael, which means like God. But what do we read here in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4? After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels. None of the angels are sat at the right hand of God the Father. Though. He became superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So the names the angels have got is stuff like God is strong, or like God, or burning ones, or blessers, high ones, internal ones. But what is the name of Christ? What is the name Christ was given? The second person of the Trinity. He was given the name Jesus, isn't it? Does Jesus mean Yahweh saves, isn't it? Jesus is Yahweh, the rescuer. Jesus, the name above every name, isn't it? The only name by which we can be saved. Jesus, the most wonderful and powerful name. So when someone says, oh, I want to ditch in this Christianity, you ditch Christianity, you're ditching Jesus, Yahweh, who saves Now, you might be thinking, well, would anyone really ditch Christianity? Yeah, they would. We all know people, don't you? And if you don't know someone yet, you will one day. You'll meet someone one day who says, I've turned my back on it all. All that Christianity stuff is rubbish. What should we do? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and go through, is this sort of eight things that I picked up on, isn't it? You're ditching Christianity. You're ditching God speaking to you. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching the air of all things. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching the creator of the universe. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching God. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching the one who sustains the whole universe. You ditch Christianity, you're ditching the one who can make you clean from your sin, who can deal with the biggest problem that you have. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching the king of the universe, the majesty. You're ditching Christianity, you're ditching one who is higher than all the angels. You're ditching Jesus, Yahweh, who saves. And there might be someone here tonight, you've never received Christianity. You've never received Christ or Christianity. Look what you're rejecting. Don't reject this. 